Hello everyone, Alexandra Nyamoyaboui here, and this is UNEDRUA, where we offer minimal actionable responses to important questions in about 15 minutes or less. This is the fourth and final installment of our blockchain-themed series featuring Cities Group's Ronit Ghost. Ronit is Global Head of Banking, Fintech, and Digital Assets for City Global Insights. But before we dive into this week's episode, let's do this. For a chance to earn some African Tech Roundup token, here's a question you need to answer. What is the world's biggest commercial bank? Stay listening to the end of the episode for the answer to the question and for how to earn that token. On this episode, Ronit Ghost will address the following questions. What are the most compelling arguments for incumbent financial institutions maintaining control over global money and currency? And how is the notion of tokenization being framed and influenced by the traditional financial services industry? Here's Ronit. Money is a way of transferring value. It's a way of storing value. It's a way of keeping account. So money has many facets. But we all have to agree on the value of money. As in, we've got to agree that this is money. And over time, as society becomes more developed, centralized institutions emerge that says this is money. And typically, those centralized institutions are based on some form of consent by the population. And so we all agree collectively. It's a, you know, remember the thing is money is... It's a made-up thing. It's, there's no intrinsic value to money today. You can't walk into your central bank or whatever, your government department, and say, here's a banknote. Give me the gold or give me the silver or the platinum or whatever it is or the beads or rubies or whatever it is you put value on in your society. Money is a made-up thing. It's a, in some ways, it's a fiction. It's a story we all tell ourselves that we all believe in. And for that value to exist or survive you need someone to supervise it, to look over it. So that's this is the argument. I'm not saying you have to believe it, but this is the argument for centralization. And similarly, for large institutions, commercial banks or firms, you go, oh, I shop here because I trust this brand. If you're in a big city or if you're in a village or if you're in a society with lots of informal shops, you go, I shop here because I trust the shopkeeper. I trust the vendor. I know her personally. There's trust. But when you get to a society level with millions and millions of people, tens or hundreds of millions or even billions of people, you don't know someone personally. It's not like your shopkeeper, your doctor or your physician. That's why you need centralized institutions sometimes to say, I give you my guarantee. You know, I've regulated this company or this brand is so valuable that you trust the brand. Now, that's the kind of traditional justification for centralization. Now, the decentralization folk will say, yeah, that's great, but why do we need like a, a king or queen or a government or a big bank to tell us, trust me, there's value in it? What if the value is inherent? Like we say there's value in gold, because we as society, what are the va- what are there's inherent value in an algorithm or there's inherent value in this code or all we all go on 
on a platform where there's no controller and we agree to whether it's information or value or whatever it is we agree to transfer something and we do that without without a without a central controller and that's the idea that's the idea behind permissionless or decentralized blockchain that's the idea behind cryptocurrencies uh, that's the idea behind the, the satoshi nakamoto white paper now the problem or the challenge is many of us in day-to-day life want to rely on someone else. Uh, We don't want to spend our time testing whether the code works, whether there's integrity in this gold coin you're giving me. Like, how do I know that inside the coin, it's gold all the way down or silver all the way through? Or this digital code actually can't be hacked. It's fit for purpose. How do I know that? I mean, if I'm not a, if I'm not digitally sophisticated, if I haven't got some advanced computer science qualification, many of us in data, it's like when I fly an aeroplane, I don't know how the aeroplane works, but I'm trusting the civil aviation authority in that country that they've done the checks before they let me get on the aeroplane. So ditto when it comes to money, most of us like the idea of trusting someone else. Now, in many parts of the world, the existing systems don't work so well and you need alternatives. And that's why blockchain based money, decentralized money has become in particularly in parts of the world where the existing systems don't work has become so popular, much more so than in say, you know, look at Europe, particularly, you know, Western Europe where existing institutions, uh, whether they're political or regulatory or monetary, are generally relatively well-functioning. Cryptocurrency usage is pretty low compared to many emerging markets. It's it's a kind of, yeah, it, it's, it's a very interesting debate, centralization versus decentralization. So the way to think about account-based money and token-based money is think about a little bit of history and a little bit of technology. So the concept of accounts or ledger entries kind of goes back to like almost the origins of modern banking and modern account. Modern accounting is based on double entry bookkeeping. So think of a ledger or a book a physical book with two pages. One page is your assets or one column is your assets and the other column or other page is your liabilities. So double entry. Now in the Renaissance period, in the kind of 13th to 15th century in Italy and rest of Europe, modern entry, double entry bookkeeping, modern banking began to evolve. The word for bank in English comes from the Italian word for bench. And the original kind of Italian Renaissance bankers literally sat on benches in Renaissance Florence a Renaissance Venice with their ledgers, with their pieces of paper, with their books, making entries into a book, into a physical book. And then as banks grew, more formal banks in Northern Europe and Western Europe in the 17th to 19th centuries, initially banks grew either because of trade or financing the royal family or the king would want to fight a war so he would need loans or trade would move around. So you need to finance trade between, say, Italy and England or vice versa. You literally had these banks growing and they would record everything in physical pieces of paper and books. That's where the banking book idea comes from and ledgers. And when technology comes along, those books get transferred into entries on a database on computers. And that's what account base is, an entry. It's a ledger entry. It's a diary entry. The idea of tokens, by contrast, is don't think of an entry in a book. Think of that gold coin or the silver coin that I hand to you or you hand back to me. That's a token. And the digital version of that token is a token on the blockchain. Is It could be a Bitcoin. It could be a CBDC. It could be anything. It's a token that sits outside this book entry, diary entry, 
institution-based money. It's value that sits on a network, on a technology, doesn't sit in an institution. And that's what a token is. Now, in modern terms, obviously, it's more than just that gold coin, because in technology terms, that gold coin now, I can now use it to do atomic settlements, for close to real-time settlements, but I can also do programmability, as in I can program into the code specific things. Like I can say, I'm going to airdrop this money into the digital wallets of various people in South Africa or in Kenya or in Egypt. And I can say into the money, into the code, this money has to be spent on, it's for COVID relief. So it has to be spent on, I don't know, food or medicine. It can be programmable uh, for good and bad. So watch this space. Thanks for listening. And here's the answer to this week's proof of play question. What is the biggest commercial bank in the world right now? The answer, according to Investopedia, is China's state-owned industrial and commercial bank of China Limited, which is the largest bank in the world in terms of total assets under management, AUM, though this is a commercial bank. For a chance to earn some African Tech Roundup token, go ahead and fill out the Google form linked to the show notes with your name, email address, seal address, and the correct answer to today's question. If you don't already have a social token wallet and seal address, get with the program by signing up at wallet.socialstack.co. You can also share your comment by leaving a 60-second voice note. Until next time, and take care.